0: Here at Lady Farmer, we talk about so many different aspects of slow and sustainable living, a subject matter that can at times feel confusing, overwhelming, even misleading. And that's why a few years ago, we set out to write a book that might be a guide for those seeking a life of beauty, simplicity, and sustainability.
1: We're thrilled to be able to offer you our own small guide for cultivating slow living, Sustainable Simplicity Close to Home available in our online marketplace. In the book, we've woven an easy-to-digest narrative of stories, recipes, tips, resources, ideas, and reflection. This collection of essays and resources will guide you to think about your own relationship to the planet, what you eat, what you wear, and how you live a sustainable lifestyle. It also contains a 21-day
0: slow-living challenge of daily thought exercises to lead you in the process. For you Good Dirt listeners, we are offering free shipping of this wonderful little book with the code The Good Dirt in our online marketplace. So use the code The Good Dirt, T H E G O O D D I R T, at checkout when you go to purchase your copy of The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living in our online marketplace for free shipping. That's The Good Dirt at The Lady Farmer Online Marketplace for free shipping on The Lady Farmer Guide to Slow Living. We hope you enjoy it. Thanks everybody.
2: In Greek mythology, anima only meant what has life. The the purpose is to, to give life to life. And 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 we're called anima in the sense that we we want to create life, we want to share life.
0: You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty-gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Emma
1: and Mary Kingsley, the mother and daughter
0: founder team of Lady Farmer, a slow living apparel and lifestyle brand. We started this podcast as a means to further share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having constantly in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now, the farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. Come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now let's dig in. Hello,
1: Emma. Happy September.
0: Hey, Mom. How are you doing? I'm
1: doing very well. It's a beautiful day. I love
0: September. Yeah, me too, except it kind of makes me a little sad that summer's over.
1: Well, we're entering a beautiful season here I think it's my favorite.
0: Yeah, and we are working on a lot of really fun things here at Lady Farmer that I'm excited to tell everybody about today. We have some workshop announcements for our upcoming virtual slow living retreat.
1: Yeah. Why don't you tell us about
0: some of them? Sure. So we have a intro to growing microgreens workshop, which is really fun. Microgreens are awesome. Not only are they delicious, but... They're super easy to take care of, and you can grow them anywhere, even if you have zero outdoor space. And that is being taught by Erica Shanks, who is a former retreat attendee, so we're so glad to have her back as an instructor this time. We also have a small-scale regenerative agriculture workshop taught by Kip and Angelique from Smarter by Nature on Instagram. They're super fun to follow on Instagram, so if you don't already, go follow them right now. Melissa Mori of Little Green Dot will be teaching a DIY skincare class. I'm so excited about that one. She also just came out with a new book. So um, we are excited to dive into that. Mallory Grimm of Hen of the Woods is teaching two cooking classes. Uh, You'll learn how to make your own ricotta and make sourdough biscuits from sourdough discard. So that will be awesome. Farai Harald from the Hillbilly African is teaching a workshop on medicinal herbs and what to grow in your garden if you're looking for more of those things. We have yoga. We have a grow your own food and small spaces class. We have a really fun time management and productivity class for those who think that they just don't have time for slow living and sustainable practices. And then we have another fun movement class that's there because we know what it's like to be stuck in front of the computer all day. And we are doing everything we can to make this a really fun, engaging um, virtual retreat.
1: I, I want to add um, that for any of you that have a conflict that weekend or you're just zoomed out, you just, oh, I don't want to spend a weekend on, you know, on a screen. Um, we understand that's kind of the, the way it is right now with everything being so remote but we've got you covered there as well because um, there is an option to get the recordings and you would have them available to you for a time um, to watch at your own schedule you could watch one a day or whatever and you um, yeah you might want to look at that and I need to mention that the VIP ticket is a great option because you get everything. You get the whole weekend uh, recorded, so you literally, like, if you want to, if you don't want to be there in present time, you have it at your leisure to watch.
0: Yeah, and these recordings include all of the recordings. So if you attend the retreat, we have so many workshops, but there's only two workshop blocks built into the schedule. So you'll attend two workshops per day live. So if you're there the whole weekend, is four workshops. But if you buy the recordings, um, you will have access to all of the workshops, the ones that you didn't get to attend. So that's an amazing deal. And with the VIP ticket, it's included. Um, The recordings are available as an add-on to all of the tickets, but they're lumped in with the VIP ticket. The VIP ticket, we promise that's the best deal. You also get a bunch of other fun stuff.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a ridiculous deal. (laughs) Yep. Why did we do that, Emma? I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, it is. Believe us. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, okay. check out our retreat landing page on the website; it has all the details. Um, and yeah, I think that's the biggest announcement for today. We just wanted to share all those fun workshops we have coming up. So let's talk about permaculture, since that's our topic for today. Yeah. yeah. Can what is it?
1: <laughs> I don't think a lot <laughs> of people even know what it is. I know. Uh, it's a word we use a lot around here um, and often without a lot of explanation about what it is. And that's probably because permaculture is a lot of things and the understanding of it isn't really easily communicated in a single phrase. But from what you know, Emma, what comes to mind for you
0: when we talk about permaculture? To me, permaculture is like trying to mimic what happens naturally as much as possible. So like, Planting things the way that they might grow naturally if you didn't plant them, um, being mindful of like things that grow together well, um, and that's like planting wise. And then I also kind of think it's kind of like yoga, and that yoga is like obviously a physical activity, but it's also so much more than that. It's almost like a philosophy. So I think permaculture is kind of the same way. It's like There's this physical application of it, and then it's also kind of a a philosophy just about everything working together.
1: Yeah, it applies to so much more than than planting and agriculture, and once you start understanding the concepts, you you sort of begin to see how things sort of are woven together into this beautiful idea. I think the simplest explanation for me is that it's working with nature and its systems and not against it. Um, but that's pretty simplistic and doesn't even begin to touch on all of the depth of this term. Um, If it helps at all, here's a quote from Bill Mollison, who is actually the creator and developer of permaculture, or the concept of permaculture, and here is what he says, and I quote, permaculture is a philosophy of working with rather than against nature, of protracted and thoughtful observation rather than protracted and thoughtless labor, and of looking at plants and animals and all their functions rather than treating any area as a single product system. All right, you guys all got that? Yeah. (laughs) It's not something with an easy takeaway, but it's good to begin by just hearing some of the ideas behind it.
0: Especially because it's a big theme of our conversation today with Julian of Anima Casa Viral a permaculture farm and art community in rural Jalisco, Mexico. Anima Casa Rural is a three hectare, which is like two and a half acres, so that's like almost eight acre, uh, organic farm with a vegetable garden, a food forest production, chickens, rabbits, goats, and they have three cows. They produce food for their family and guests with a variety of fruit trees, medicinal plants, annuals, and perennials and they're developing projects for the regeneration of their soils and grass pasture for the animals and reforestation of a donated government area with native species.
1: Yeah, and it serves not only as a working farm that offers opportunities for people to come work the land with them and learn their techniques, but it's also an artist residency and a B&B as well. You'll hear Julian talk about the variety of guests they have there and the community they've built around nurturing this beautiful piece of earth, growing food, sharing it together, sharing their artistic creations, uh, working on natural building and natural land preservation techniques. And it's just all very fascinating.
0: Yeah. Julian Caleros is the director of Anima Casa Rural, his love for the arts and culinary creativity have led him to the creation of many different projects such as the Nago Gallery, Knave's Kitchen, and now Anima Casa Artist Residency. Julian revisits his historical, social, and political interests in all of his projects to consider how we can look at food, art, community, and collaboration. So he's wonderful to talk to and we can't wait to share this conversation with you. Yeah, so here's Julian.
2: Uh, well, my name is Julian Caleros. I am um, at Anima Casa Rural right now. We're located in the San Isidro, Masatepec, in the municipality of Tala, which is um, probably about an hour away from Guadalajara, which is the second largest city in Mexico.
0: So do you run Anima by yourself? Is it just you in
2: charge? Well, y- Yes and no. I'm the director. I am the one that sort of like comes up with the projects and ideas so far, mostly because I'm the one that has been here most of the time. Anima Casa Rural came up as an idea of mine, but slowly, I think that we were all um, in our own personal lives working towards it. Um, My parents moved to this property about 15 years ago while i was living in canada my brother lived here before and he was planting trees and uh, participating in infrastructure way before anima came about to be what is today Um, but then when when i was in in canada i i i was introduced to permaculture and I fall in love with with the concept of permaculture. And based on that, slowly, through the time, I, I, I kind of felt that I had a, a gift from from the universe uh, with with land and property that my parents had. and And slowly, we all kind of started jumping into the project. So I talked to my to my parents and I proposed to them to to have this project as an Airbnb in the beginning. Uh, they say yes. I didn't have an, a an, a specific idea of how it was gonna be like, but as as far as I started to to come more often, because I spent some time like I will would, I would spend half of my year in Canada and then the other half of the year here in Mexico, I felt that I needed to be here, so I decided to to make the move three years ago, but. It's not like, I mean, I I work here all the time. I have a great team with my family and with a family that lives with us. I don't do it alone. I always think that it's, it's, um, it's, it's a team effort project in which also different collaborators come in and, and help us to to grow. So I and I also like to hear ideas from other people that that like sometimes we have woofers that come and say like oh this will be amazing and i'm like perfect you know so i i'm not i try to to direct the project but i think that is a collective effort to make anima happen
1: so tell us what anima casa rural is is today is it a farm is it an airbnb i know you do artist residencies or is it all of that
2: so to me anima as today is, is this space, this this farm lab, in which allows to promote culture, to emphasize Mexican culture as well, um, and invite people as a, as a, as an artist or as regular guests that want to escape the city and and get some glimpse of how we do things here without chemicals and and pesticides and extra hormones <laughs> to to our animals and plants. So um, anima is all of those things, right? It's, it's, a, it's a place in which through uh, food production and, and plants and animals and sharing those moments while we dine together, uh, we create culture. So I, I like to think that, that that's how it works.
1: It sounds like a very holistic system. You're you're dealing with uh, food and art and culture and um, people. It it sounds like just a really marvelous thing, and it makes me want to go there. <laughs> yeah, it sounds amazing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to share that is is part of the idea, right? I guess through the time that I I, I live in Canada and I I learn a lot about different you know, like the culture, the cultural shock and the way how different cultures deal with with things, you know, the idea of the countryside in Mexico, I I think that sometimes is really different from what people are used to here. And and to have this opportunity and capacity to share this with people in my closest community and the city of Guadalajara, or like even people from Mexico City that have come and different um smaller cities around us um I think that they they go away being like oh this is this is different and this is a neat project and I think that he's a little bit trying to um, create options for people to to think on on food production in a different way as we are very used to here in Mexico
1: oh tell us some about the food tell us about what you've developed within the 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 years that you're there so far and what are Talk to us about the food a little bit.
2: Well, the, the food is, uh, I, I we're not 100% producers right now. Uh, that's kind of my goal. And I've been trying to, I mean, I, I grew up in the city. So um, I grew up in Guadalajara. When I was 20, I moved to Canada. And then slowly I got really interested in, the, um, in kind of like having my balcony full of plants and, and having tomatoes and and peppers in there. What we have in the farm we were producing um we have a food forest in which we have a lot of fruit trees we have uh mangoes papayas uh guavas um there is um asparagus there is medicinal plants uh we have um potatoes uh, there is um ginger cumin um so we, we have like a mix of different things right now. A lot of uh, pumpkins, um, arugula, um, different kind of like local plants, like native, uh, native trees that fix nitrogen into the soil. Uh, that would be kind of the, the, the food forest in the vegetable garden. Uh, we try to have a lot of radishes, lettuce, uh, tomatoes, um, a different type of uh, pumpkin as well that we use a lot here in Mexico. We we have done as well, this is the third year that we plant our own corn. Um, we got from my ex-partner, um, his dad went to Oaxaca. Uh, he gave me a, a handful of, of uh, corn seeds from Oaxaca and we slowly been reproducing that. And that was like five years ago so then we have the three sister system the pumpkin beans and and corn growing as well so we have that for as a plant base we have goats rabbits cows chickens dog ducks and um, and turkeys on farm as well so what I've been trying to do is learn how I can reproduce them a bit more, and, and whenever we sacrifice the, the goats, rabbits, and chickens for meals, I do it myself, uh, trying to be very thankful and conscious of, of their, you know, like, that I'm taking their lives, so I do it in, in a very respectful way, um, and then recently we added uh, pigs to the farm, uh, which I'm also very excited as well, um, to learn how to butcher and clean and process that meat in here. So when people visit us, most of the project the idea is that is for um, consumption in here. So we want people to come here and eat the food that we're producing. And, and and if they are vegetarians or vegans, they are totally welcome. But also that they know that we consume meat and we try to do it in the most conscious respectable weight, we can not only make use of the animals but also regenerate the soils and give back to the earth. So I'm I'm completely aware of 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 the the tendencies or or the fashions on like how you're not supposed to eat meat. And I totally agree if it's like an industrialized meat, um, what I'm trying to do is just to to reduce my consumption of that meat and to produce my own meat in a way that is a little bit more respectful.
0: Yeah, of course. That's something that we, um, we talk about a lot here at Lady Farmer. We're we're huge fans of regenerative agriculture and a big part of that regenerative uh, way of farming and living really does involve meat and meat consumption. So that's really interesting. And thank you so much for, For laying all of that out. I'm so fascinated. I want to go back to something that you said earlier, kind of when you were introducing Anima. You didn't really have a full exact idea of what you wanted it to be, but it's really kind of grown organically and also very cooperatively. So you you yourself are the director and you kind of oversee everything, but really um, it seems like it's a true cooperative place uh, where everyone who comes there, even if it's a transient, even if they're coming and then leaving, They're all kind of contributing to this. It's almost like it has its own ecosystem of a community, right? And um, I just don't think that there's a whole lot of places like that. And I'm just super fascinated in how you've kind of either very intentionally or just by, you know, by, I guess, the design kind of woven all these elements together. I just kind of wanted to say that it's really incredible and like a little bit of a kind of a microcosm of what the world. Like Could be and should be right, like on a broader scale
2: i think I think that what what has happened is I guess if my parents wouldn't have moved to the countryside fifteen years ago and and I wouldn't have this amazing um, opportunity and 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 this privilege of being in the country, I would probably still be in Toronto and I will still grow things in my balcony. Um, or who knows, maybe I would have joined a different project and move into the countryside as well. Um, what What happens today is that I'm here in Mexico and slowly uh, things have like grow organically, uh, unconsciously as well. I, I do think that, that sometimes, you know, things just kind of like happen. Maybe we have an idea and, and from that idea it grows. With with artists, for example, like I said, um, the artist community from Toronto has uh, supported this project in so many different ways. Um, my closest friends and, and colleagues that helped me to uh, program residencies, to promote the space as well over there, and and friends as well to respond to that and 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 share the the open calls and to come and visit as an as an artist in residency uh or artists in residency. Uh they in that way I think that that has been one of, of the ways of of direction. Uh having um friends and, and artists that I don't know that that come and say, hey, you know, like you're doing this and this is fantastic, I could do this other thing. Um, for example, with like very interesting um, interactions that have happened is is like woofers and, and artists as well, like coming and collaborating in different projects. We had a woofer, um, a, a great older man from Toronto that I didn't know. It just happened that he that he's from Toronto, and then he he came and he made um, these beautiful um, food dehydrator for us, and an artist from uh, Argentina. Uh, she she comes and decorates, um, and and so then that was a great collaboration that they both have in at Anima without without planning. And I think that that's how slowly is been is been um, shaped Anima. And and what I try to do is just to land those ideas and and make it happen. That's kind of my job.
1: So you were telling us about some of the. Um the artists that have been there and their projects and the collaboration with um, even the woofers, which are the um, the people that come to do the organic farming for a certain period of time. Is that correct? The organization where people can come volunteer on a farm and learn all about um, g- growing things? Yes.
2: Uh, yeah, we have um, like the farm. I think that it's been one of the ways that help us to do a lot of developing projects. Um, sometimes we have people that have a lot of knowledge other times there is people that have no knowledge but a lot of um, disposition to to help and, and and learn and and you know put their time and energy into into our projects um, most of the experiences have been very very great and and help us to to kind of continue or expand most of the food forest, for example. Um, Most of it has been through people that volunteer um, their time in exchange of uh, food and accommodation. And and the idea is that they can make use of the spaces that we have. For example, we have a natural swimming pool in which um, there is no chlorine and then we have fish in it. Uh, but it's a recreational pool, and people are like, "Oh my god, there is fish!" <laughs> and and uh, they don't know if they should like go in or not. And we're like, "Yeah, for sure, that's that's for us to to swim in." So the idea is these people um, can have access to those uh, spaces as well, or if they want to grab a book and and chill on the on on the lounge sort of um, TV room or. If they want to be a little bit creative and use the studios, and um, and you know, from drawing to to making clay, and recently as well, we have like uh, silk screen um, printing machine uh, equipment. I guess it will be most of the the word for it. Um, so yeah, like that's how we've been able to to grow a lot.
1: Oh, that just sounds wonderful. Like they, they do some work for you, but they also have a chance to, um, for recreation and creativity and and sounds like some really good eating. <laughs> How long do your guests and residents typically stay or is it just, it just runs the gamut? Um, and do you provide all the meals there for your the people that are there?
2: Uh, yeah, like people, uh, the idea is that people stay a minimum of two weeks um, or a maximum of two months. So, so far we have people that stay like a month and a half. That's been the, the the longest, I think people coming from Europe or coming from, we had a, a visit from South Africa, which is very amazing that we have been able to reach so far. Um, and, uh, and people, you know, like the meals are done here, for example, whenever, uh, we have like right now we I, I, I like I say I, I work in the food and service industry, um, so I've been learning how to make bread, um, how we like we we make cheese, we make yogurt. I'd, um, I've learned how to butcher animals, so I try to do all that here and to share with people three meals a day. Um, the mornings is very chill. We make our own granola. I, I bake the bread. Um, we try to make jams um, for for the bread and uh, and the yogurt. So then it's just like a continental breakfast type with coffee and um, and the meals like the, the the lunch usually is a little bit more Mexican style. I try to do like Mexican brunch, lots of beans and tortillas and chilaquiles and stuff that are more sort of local and that people. Want to eat as well when they're in Mexico, and in the evening I try to go a little bit more um, like casual high-end dining type of thing, like like bistro type of food, um, which I try to use. You know, sometimes the dogs or the goats, and and try to do fancy little things uh, for people. From I don't know, um, like making some type of crackers, special crackers or. Or like just throwing the goats for eight hours in the oven, and, and see what comes out. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> so yeah, like I, I think that that little bit of of um, I I love food and I love working in kitchens. So whenever I have the opportunity of of doing it, I do it and I try to learn from from people and then I just try to replicate things in in, in the farm. Um, and I try to have like snacks for them too like we don't allow any kind of uh, big brands uh, pops or processed food bread or chips or junk food the idea is to try to reduce um, like garbage production and 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 to try to eat well uh, Not all the time kind of works out uh, sometimes people uh, arrive with their uh, package or uh of of junk food and and i try to explain to them sometimes people react very well to it other times people are like what do you mean that i cannot eat oh. this <laughs> um so i try to be flexible at a different time and respect and respected but most of the time people are very uh received like they receive the idea very well and they they they're like oh for sure like they just leave in their luggage and probably they eat it
0: Julian, everything you're describing is really making me think about um our every year we have a retreat for a lady farmer and well Mm -hmm. we've done it two years and this year we we unfortunately won't be doing it in person just with everything going on. But it's kind of like just the way that you described sort of pulling pulling the meals together and incorporating um what you have on hand and the community and what can we do with this is just kind of the spirit of I feel like what we've tried to do. With our own gatherings at Lady Farmer, and then I just had the idea. Well, we should just have a retreat at Anima next that year. <laughs>
2: that would be great. I, would, uh, you know, I, think, yeah. I think that a lot of what I'm like, what I tried to do here, or what we're doing here, is um, I think that it had to do a lot with that Canadian experience, and uh, and I think that is kind of North American in a way. But but you know, Mexico is part of North America too. Um, so I think, I think that the consciousness of, or, or the people that I had the fortune to, to meet and, and the culture that I could see from North America in like the U S and Canada, it really inspire a lot of things that, that we're trying to do here. And, and there is a lot of people from Mexico. They're very interested in, in participating, uh, which it, it makes me very excited and and and, and I think that he's just creating these cultural bridges in which is familiar to all of us you know when when you say that oh that sounds mm-hmm. amazing it makes me it, it makes me really happy to 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 think and feel that that you guys can um, identify as well with what we're doing here
1: I'm interested in your describing. What types of things that you picked up in North America? I mean, I sort of understand what you're saying
2: here in my my reality, in which I live right now here in Mexico. Sometimes when we think of the countryside, uh, people from the cities think that we're talking about um, very basic things um, like motocross uh, bicycles, um, in which you go around on a field burning gas. Or um, these kind of boogie cars that go fast on the same sort of like sand roads, which also burn gas. Or you go and ride a horse, and that's it. Um, so the context of the countryside to me um, that I learned in North America is it, a lot of the the formation or or the practices that I try to put in the project. Um, and that's one of the things that people are being more receptive here in Mexico that are like, oh, OK, so you're saying that I can go there and I can just hang out and and learn about the countryside on a different way. And, and, and it's not about just like, you know, barbecuing some meat and, and drinking beer and and your yeah. bicycles burning gas. So I think that that and maybe that happens in north america too but but that wasn't my experience. um My experience there was like i don't know like making food and sharing wine with friends and having picnics <laughs> and and trying to to look for these areas like 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 get out of the city and 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 look for the forest look for for the countryside that could give us a little bit more um peace and quality of life.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about some of the outbuildings on the property? And I'm particularly interested in the moon house.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um Well, for example, one of the things that I was telling you that Anima happened organically and that each one of my family members, we were kind of working towards the project without even knowing that that was going to happen so the moon house is called metzeri which means moon in nahuatl which is my um, sort of mother heritage um, indigenous past Um, but that structure it was built through or by my brother and um, and he built it before I was even planning to come to Mexico or have any... I think that it was kind of at the same time when he started building it, I started to learn about permaculture. So um, the Moon House is, is, a, is a construction made of super adobe, which is ecological construction in which has only sand uh, been bagged and piled up. And, and it's um, a very interesting type of architecture. There is a lot of videos on YouTube and there is um, a lot of different communities doing it as well here in Mexico. I also follow an Instagram account from Japan that they build the same kind of uh, building. So it's very amazing that it is kind of like getting everywhere. Um, and what you do from the the, the pile bag or the, the pile sand that is bagged is then you protect it from the outside. And there is so many different techniques to make the windows and the doors and different rooms. So I find that it's a very interesting type of architecture. Um, The plan is to build more of those uh, to host people in the future. I guess we're just going sort of baby steps. Um, But that's a, a very beautiful structure that my brother did in probably about eight years ago, 10 years ago.
0: That's amazing, and um, do you, is that the only one that's, that's like that, or are there other structures that are built like? Or did you use like natural building methods for everything on the property?
2: Yeah, well, for example, the like that's the the only structure like that built with super adobe, uh, but the main house it is built with regular traditional adobe. So um, the adobe is. Uh, probably a lot of people know, is a mix of clay and sand and gravel with uh, like a greenhouse or, or hay. And um, so the main, the main house is built with, uh, with adobe. It was my mom's design or it is my mom's design. Um, she kind of got ideas and started kind of building the house um, in her mind. Uh, when she would go and visit uh, me in Toronto, and and um, and then they got the help of an architect just to see details and stuff like that. But the house, for example, also has rain collection water, and all the grey water that is used in the in the sinks and the showers and uh, the washing machine, it's uh, filtered and recollected. So um, it's when I say that, like my mom was thinking about this even before we were talking about like having an ecological project. She was like, no, my house my house is gonna collect rainwater and it's gonna filter all the grey water. <laughs> <laughs> and she did it 15 years ago. Um, so um that's the main structure. Um and then we built some composting toilets as well. Um and um and I think that so far it's, it's kind of what we what we have for um infrastructure that is ecological. Which is the two main um, uh, houses where we host people.
0: We're really fascinated by natural building. Um, my parents actually on the farm. There's an outbuilding that was a structure, probably built. We don't really have real records on it, but it's probably you know in the last century, several decades old, if not a hundred years old, and um, or more. But it was burned about 30 years ago and so it's kind of standing there like charred and we have um dreams of rebuilding it to be you know naturally with um i don't know if we is adobe just mud and it's straw-, straw bale straw bale
1: construction yeah. is that the same as is as- it's not the same as Adobe, I don't think.
2: I think that is an, an amazing opportunity that you guys have to reveal something like that. Um, if you check the like YouTube videos of like you just put "super Adobe," uh-huh. um, you're gonna see how it's pretty much is like there is like the these bags we call them costales (laughs) and um and it's pretty much like you bag sand so the same the same hole that you make for the structure where you will be building is most of the sand that you're going to be using to to bag um the sand the structure is very fascinating and and the other type of of um of adobe is more like like a, a regular brick it's just a little bit more chunky like old old times uh, adobe houses they would be probably about i don't know good um a like 15 inches thick that it would it would make the walls very very uh, thick and and fresh when it's hot and warm when it's cold so it's a is an amazing way of building
0: here in our county and in many places in north america there are a lot of zoning and permitting issues with building this way <laughs> that you have to work around. Do you have those same kind of issues in Mexico?
2: Recently, we we learned that um, over satellite, um, just based on, you know, or tax contribution of land and all those kind of things, um, that they can't uh, register through satellite what we have building or what we have built or how many buildings we have. But there is no such restrictions like in Canada as well. When you try to build an extra room in your home, you have to go and get a permit, and then you, you have an inspector that goes and check the electricity and every single thing. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, things are different in Mexico, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and um, so we don't we don't have such. Uh, difficulties with uh, building ecological structures, but yeah, I think that that could be a little bit um, in disadvantage too, because then um, we don't, you know, just the formula or 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 the code to be follow and to be um, have people that can come in and help us with um, the all that sort of like plumbing or electricity. Uh, sometimes we have to make sure that people have their license or their their schooling, so then everything is 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 safe at the same time. So it's just a little bit, you know, the resources are are, are kind of different to to get them here. Um, it's more difficult to get like a licensed electrician and a plumber here to make these kind of uh, structures because. The same type of regulations that don't exist.
1: I see. <laughs> That's interesting. Tell us about a day in the life at Anama. What is it? What it? What might your day look like from beginning to end?
2: It really changes on um, by season. Uh, we have two two seasons. It's like rain or no rain, which then makes us to be um, semi tropical or semi desert um which is very very amazing that things can change so much right now we're starting our rain season which it goes from pretty much uh June to end of January kind of it depends if it if it pushes um for those kind of like 6 months um and everything gets very lush and green and um and then from February to May is our dry season. Um and it gets very um dry and semi-deserted um all all around. So my days when it's uh dry season um involve a lot of like I get up you know where I this I think sometimes the the, the we're like a game farm or um a lazy farm because we're (laughs) not milking our cows at 5 a.m i wake up at and uh and is when i start my day and and i uh, and if it's dry season i start just to check uh how much water we have from watering the night before and i start watering watering everything so i check the animals after so then we feed the the animals the chickens the rabbits um, the goats, the cows, and the pigs, and then we make sure that everything is, is okay, that we didn't have um, animals, you know, coyotes or skunks coming in to, uh, to eat or, or animals or, or eggs or things like that. Um, and then from that is a lot of, uh, through the day, trying to work on projects, um, like those projects might be uh, ornamental areas or working in the vegetable garden, cleaning, weeding, moving stones, uh, planting things if it's, if it's viable just based on the season. Um, and when it's rain season as well, like we attend the animals in, in the morning, we, um, we don't water. Uh, for example, in the dry season, we water at the end of the day for about three and a half hours to four hours a day. So that's kind of how we end our day on on the on the dry season. Uh, we kind of water things from 5 30 to 8 30, 9 p.m. And then what we're gonna start doing now with the rain season is a lot of weeding, a lot of planting trees so then we can take advantage of the water and cutting the loans and, and just trying to make sure that like the areas, the green areas for the guests are also looking looking nice. We try to be conscious with water usage as a not refundable uh, resource. Um, so when it's dry season things, the grass looks not so bad now because we're, we're being able to contain humidity but it's not you know a, a beautiful grass lawn but now that it rains it it turns green immediately and it's very nice
0: i
1: was going to ask you during the dry season when you water for several hours a day where does the water come from do you catch the rain during the rainy season at all or or um
2: yeah yeah, well, we have um, the community owns uh, well, so we get water every day through the well, uh-huh. and then we collect it. And also, we have a uh, rain, uh, like a full rain collector, in which we also are growing tilapia fish. Oh. Um, so in during rain season, we we max it up all the way up, and then we start using it by February. And the idea with uh, how we water during the dry season is that we give priority to trees and plants and the vegetable garden and the food forest. And the grass comes at the end. If we have extra water in which we can uh, use for the grass to make it look nice or to give it a break because a lot of it dies, we do it, but the the priority is just to to water the the trees which will help us in the future to hold more humidity and 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 to grow food. So that's kind of what we do with with both the water that comes in during the day and also the rainwater that we collect.
1: I see, yeah. And so and, and in and at any given time you might have uh 15 guests there at the most that you're that you're feeding and and working with.
2: If we were If we were a full house at some given point, we could be hosting to about um, 33 people max. Oh, wow. (laughs) Which that would be crazy. That would be amazing. Does that ever happen? (laughs) Has
1: has that happened yet?
2: The most people that we hold uh, at once has been 18 people. Um, And it was very nice, but it was like um, very you know like energy was moving constantly and it was at some moments you were like oh my god there is so many people um i I think that it would be great for it to happen again
0: (laughs) yeah do you see yourselves growing much bigger or do you feel like this is like kind of capacity or would you like do you imagine like a, a huge sprawling you know 100 people at a thing or do you think that this is kind of like it makes this is what's making sense and you can just work to make this even better?
2: What we would like to do, the plan is to build five more of those um, moon structures They will be mostly for um, the way that I imagine it. It would be for uh, couples or single residents in which it will be a bunk bed and underneath a beautiful long desk for them to work. Um, and then it will have just one single bedroom and a bathroom included, like composting bathroom. Um, so I imagine five of those. Um, who knows how soon we will be able to even start building the first one. But I don't think that we will grow more than that.
0: Yeah. I'm I like the idea of having more of those moon structures. I'm so in love with that space. Mom, have you seen the pictures yes. of that moon house? Oh I'm...
1: yes, my goodness. It it's must be just, so I can't imagine like, you know, sleeping in there. It must be just such wonderful energy.
2: Yeah. You know, Mary, this one has like a clear ceiling. So when it's also warm, you get all (gasps) the light there. And and it's very, very, very nice. For acoustics, like funny enough, we had uh, one workshop with some musicians, uh, very interesting people. It was um, um, a a guy from the U.S. and his girlfriend from Italy that were doing acoustics uh, workshops. Uh, and, and they were fascinated as, as well with, with the acoustics of the space. So uh, apparently it's, it's great for creating music. Maybe we should make a, a sound studio like that. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be, be Oh,
1: that would be <laughs> great. Then, yeah, and then you could have more musicians there doing A the- recording studio. Yeah. Um, one more thing I wanted to say about the Moon House, going back to, you were talking about the construction. You said that the, the, the sand that you get from the hole you dug to build the house was the sand that's in the bags to make the construction. Is is Did I understand that to be correct?
2: From the moon house, yeah. yeah.
1: Okay, so that's interesting because I bet a lot of people don't know this, but I've heard that sand is actually getting to be kind of a limited resource on earth. Um, I mean, people think, oh, there's tons of sand, like the desert and the beaches, but actually the kind of sand that you need for building construction, is is very limited it turns out. So that is another sustainability factor in that kind of construction is that you're using the sand from from right there on the spot.
2: I think that that's very uh, like one of one of the, the the issues that we deal with as a general ecological situation is that there is a lot of sandbanks in the area and sometimes it's really sad to see how they just come in and And they just erase everything um and 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 yeah, like you know how much sand is there demand for uh, for construction to make concrete and all those kind of things
1: yeah
2: and 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 for people to be able to build their own structure you know if you if you have to dig so what do you what do you do with all that material you are reusing it for for your own um construction. So it's kind of I, I think that is is a it's a good way to to look at it as like you're you're using your own resources in the most effective yes. way to to build housing and, and and to protect yourself and family.
0: What is it that you most want people to understand about the work that you're doing?
2: I think um we as human beings we don't have to do everything um all of us, you know. Um, I think that there is um you mentioned before that you you're a city girl and that you enjoy the cities. I think the cities are great. I think that um that there is space for everything and people for everything as well. Um I think that the work that we do at Anima is is work that I enjoy, that um uh, is meaningful to me and 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 that is probably Uh, an invitation for people to to come and and probably learn or or experience something regardless if it's their lifestyle or not um i think that that people in general whatever we do we do it because we're passionate about it and and if our passion is in the cities that's amazing Um, i find that my passion is here in this place and um and, and I guess that what I do and anima is just an invitation for people to to experiment and see other options of how we can do things and and there is no compromise right like mm-hmm. people if, if someone comes and has a, a wonderful two weeks with us and 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 they experience this way of living and then they go back to the city that's you know that's that's fine too and I think that some people might might resonate and and decide to do small changes in their life. Um, other people might just have it as an experience and be like, "Well, that's not for me," and it wasn't amazing. And I think that that's that's the main purpose of the project: a to to I guess satisfy myself with with the capacity of what I can do and and what what I can process you know emotionally mm-hmm. and spiritually to to the work I do and and maybe influence other people to at least have an experience
0: that's amazing can you tell us a little bit about how you were inspired by Thomas Berry
2: yeah uh well mm-hmm. once again it was um probably mm, one of those um experiences or gifts that um it was given to me while I was living in Canada. My ex-partner's uh, father was reading the book, and um, and then they uh, offered it to me. So then I started reading it, and, and I was just kind of in, in process and kind of in shock, and, and I was processing the, the, the information, um, the words, and and it was one of the, of the decision points of being like, what am I doing here? <laughs> I'm going mm-hmm. back to Mexico. My- so, and um, and the name anima comes from from that phrase that I read there that in Greek mythology, anima only meant, um, or it means what has life, um, like like the the purpose is to to give life to life and 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 we're called anima in the sense that we we want to create life we want to share life um, and that was the inspiration of. Of, of that book. And that's why I, I call it um, the Project Anima. And, and I think that it was just a gift of, of that beautiful family that I, that I uh, had the chance to meet and live with for about eight years. And, uh, and, 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 and now I'm on my own uh, path and process with all that information.
0: That's amazing. And also it makes so much sense, like even the word animate is like mm-hmm. to make something give something life, like an animation.
2: Yes. It's
0: amazing. Oh, I'm gonna go get that book and read
1: it. Um I'm I'm a great admirer of Thomas Berry, and the and, and the great work has been a big inspiration to me as well. Um I used a quote from that in the book that we just we just came out with this spring. And I know it was written like I think late you know, like late in the last century, but it seems so, so very, very um, relevant. Like right now, like he was almost, uh, yeah. he was right. ahead of his time. He was certainly a visionary. Yeah. Well, Julian, this has been so interesting, such such a wonderful conversation, and we really appreciate your time and your thoughts and the work that you're doing down there.
2: I I I'm very glad for you guys um yeah, connecting and, and once again I said being interested uh, in having this conversation and learning about our project here. And I, I, I was just thinking this like one thing that I would like to say the extra is that when people ask me who is my community, I find that there is many levels of community. I feel that there is international community and probably um we are becoming that kind of international uh, community by trusting and and sharing um, or process and or or you know like experiences, um, I also think that here um, my closest community is also the city you know um, one one of the experiences that I had before is that I would make events in which I wanted to go out into the streets and clean the garbage that is uh, around. And, and people from the city would be like, well, you should ask uh, your closest community. And I, and I replied to them, you know, you are my closest community. Mm. Without a healthy countryside, there is no healthy cities. And I think that people in the city should realize that, that if they don't do something, if they don't extend their community from their neighborhood or their street or their favorite coffee shop, Um, like we are like the countryside people like you that are on the countryside and like many others with very amazing projects if people in the city they don't understand that we are part of their community um, they won't have the facilities and the privilege that they have in the city we have to understand that the cities are community as well and that without the cities we won't have a lot of progressive very active people that fight for different things and that they're on the front line as well with many different issues that we are dealing with today. Um, so I think that we we have to understand that we are all community. There is no healthy cities without healthy countryside. I just wanted to add that too.
0: Yes. yeah,
1: that's
2: beautiful.
0: Thank you. Yeah, that's a really good thought. Any final words before we go for today?
2: Um, I would like to thank... Um, a few people, uh, if it's possible. Um, very quick, I'm going to go through their names. I would really like to uh, thank the help and support of Martin Minievsky, Adam Williams, um, Aidan Colling, Hill uh, Alternativa, uh, Side and Cycle Lift Toronto, um, Artists in Residency TV, uh, The Gribble Family, uh, funding projects uh, from Projecta Jalisco. and obviously all my friends and family in general that have supported Anima Casa Rural um, through those years.
0: So thank you so much for joining us, Julian. We can't wait to come meet you in person and stay at Anima. I'm so excited. Yes, thanks again.
2: (laughs) Well, thank you for the opportunity.
1: So I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I really enjoyed hearing about how a thriving permaculture community works and evolves and the ideas behind it and how they're implemented and the dreams and the visions. And I just think it encapsulates so much of
0: permaculture as agriculture and also permaculture as life. Yeah, I really enjoyed chatting with Julian too. It made me really want to go visit and it's my hope that anyone listening who also gets excited about artist communities and growing food and living in community will be inspired by Julian's story and might even be able to go visit him one day or start your own artist permaculture community. <laughs> I personally think if the whole world was filled with anime casa rural, it would be a much better place. So there's that. And also, we just want to leave you with a reminder to check out our website, www.ladyfarmer.com, and click the button that says Retreat and read all about our retreat coming up. And you definitely want to reserve your seat soon. If you're not following us already on Instagram, our handle is We Are Lady Farmer. And if you'd like to reach out to the podcast directly, it's thegooddirtpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for tuning in this week. See you next time, everybody. Thanks.